Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Coming off a series of controversial immigration remarks, there are reports this week out of New York City that Donald Trump, presidential candidate, is narrowing his list of potential vice president running mates. In an attempt to soften his image and balance his campaign, Colonel Comover is said to be looking for someone who is more liberal on domestic issues. His two top candidates, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and FSU football coach Jimbo Fisher. Boys, we are back. We are 44 days from the kickoff of uh, college football, and the tyranny of the offseason will be behind us as Clemson takes the Death Valley to bury the Terriers. Uh, we are now in mid-July, boys. Uh, what's been new? You guys looking forward to this football season coming up? I can't wait. You see, like, ACC media days and just all these headlines flowing in. Davos pumped. I'm pumped. Um, looking. F- I'm trying to get back for a game. Don't Not sure which one yet. Probably Notre Dame, maybe FSU. What's going on with you, Ben? I'm looking uh, forward to FSU. Um, got a wedding to go to, actually, on the Notre Dame game. I find that pretty selfish of the bride and groom to have a wedding. For shame. Football. Yeah, during football but congrats. season. And on, yeah, you know, I guess. Um, <laughs> but that's fine. Um, you know, we'll record the game, try to not pay attention to our phones and watch it later. But yeah, definitely FSU. Looking forward to get back to that one, get some revenge. Feeling positive about that one right now? We'll see. I'm personally looking forward to attending the Notre Dame game. First one in the Valley since Joe Montana laced them up. Uh, And that'll be the only one I can attend with the forecoming arrival of my son. So going to try to get out there. Hope to see some some of our listeners as well. And Katie, if you're listening, I'm sorry I didn't mean that. It's your wedding day. I love you. Looking forward to it. I'm not disappointed at all. But you're selfish, Katie. You are. There's a disclaimer there. Fall weddings are fraught with peril. Listeners who are not married, uh, take note. She's not a football fan. Cool. She did go to App State, so maybe she did that in spite. Guys, let's move on to um, headlines around the world of college football this week. Um, One that hits close to home for us, um, the Howard's Rock vandalism case from the summer of 2014 went to trial this week. Looks like it's going to be a pretty quick trial, as all things things considered here. so breaking news out of the Fortress of Justice in Pickens, South Carolina, uh, the defense rested today in the case of defendant Micah Rogers, a 20-year-old from uh, North Carolina. He's facing conviction on charges of grand larceny and malicious injury to property of greater than $10,000 in value. Uh, both of those counts carry a max penalty of 10 years each. Um, Cody, you know, knowing, knowing about Howard's Rock, knowing how important that is, uh, knowing about these symbols... You know, what's a just punishment for this type of crime, assuming uh, this man is found guilty? I would say a very lengthy community service type punishment. No jail time. Absolutely. Oh, like, no come jail on. time. Easy old man, Ben. Easy. Let me, let me finish. I'm talking like maybe 500 hours of community service. I mean, he, he completely, I mean, and that would be complete, completely, completely just. Um, I, I just don't, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a game of football. It's a, it's a rock. There's plenty of rocks out there. He did something stupid and he damaged a very expensive piece of property. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm okay with punishing him. But jail time, like, really? I mean, we all love Clemson. You look at the thing that happened in Auburn where a guy poisoned trees. And I could see, I mean, he got, two, I think, two years in jail. But here's the difference. Like, those are living trees that have been there for 100 years. And this is a rock. Let me tell you Just how— get another rock and put it in there. No one would ever know. Let me tell you how long this rock has been on the earth. A lot longer than two trees. Um, yeah, th- this definitely deserves some jail time. So, I mean, I mean, this is, I mean, it's, it's the heart of Clemson football. And this kid claims himself to be a Clemson football fan. I mean, just that in itself, I would be more lenient on a Gamecock fan that did this. But uh, one of our own, one of supposedly our own, no, he definitely deserves more than community service. I'm not saying he gets the full 10-year sentence on each. Yes, absolutely, this should not ruin his life. But he deserves to be punished more than community service. In my opinion, and I think most of the Clemson fan base would agree with me. Now, you do have to separate a certain bit, the nostalgia surrounding the the rock as a Clemson fan and just kind of your emotions for sure and, and try the crime and punish the crime for what it is, stepping back as an outside perspective. So, yeah, definitely doesn't honestly uh, warrant the full mm. sentence, but... I think he does deserve jail time because, honestly, to me, it doesn't look like this kid actually got what he did. This affected more. This is not just one person's piece of property. This is thousands of alumni, right, that are right. affected by this. How, do you, how, how so? would you feel about an alternative punishment? And I'm going to wrap this up here. 30 days jail in Pickens County and public embarrassment, public humiliation, tarred and feathered first home game. Ooh, tarred and feathered. Can we do that anymore? I don't know. I'm don't. not sure what the the status is on that, but something where this is a public form of apology, if you will. Um, certainly, I haven't heard or read. And again, we don't know if he's guilty or not. This is still, you know, being decided in a court of law. It's pretty obvious. There's video, et cetera, et cetera. Draw your own conclusions. Can I, I just I, a quick word? Shoot. One day, Ben. I hope you have an 18 year old son who probably will make a lot of the same mistakes you made. And there will be a Dabo Sweeney statue, and he'll take, like, Dabo's, like, hand or something. And I hope he has to serve whatever sentence this guy, Micah Rogers, has to serve. Yeah, if, if my future son takes Dabo's hand, I will tar and feather him myself. Well, yeah. we, will, we will watch this one closely, punishment and, uh, and result and all. <laughs> kind of sticking with uh, potential trouble surrounding football programs, um, Dalvin Cook, tailback of Florida State, uh, was charged with hitting a woman um, in Tallahassee. You know, again, um, terrible incident, if true. Uh, previously, Cook was cited for chaining three pit bull puppies. Not sure if those were his dogs, um, licensed to him or not, but chaining those together, that's against, um, against the law in Florida. Uh, so it looks like, you know, Cook in trouble again, more Florida State headlines, you know, related to drama in the program. Um, instead of getting into this, I think we've, it's kind of a broken record at this point in the national media, what's going on in Florida state. Um, Ben, let me just ask you, do you see cook lining up at tailback in the Valley on November 7th? Well, I guess the first thing, the thing with the, these previous charges aren't something we've heard about before. So there is a history of obviously now discipline issues, uh, with Dalvin cook. And this is just a continuation of the character issues we've seen at Florida state. And this kind of this all comes back down to the coach, Jimbo Fisher. Uh, you know, it, it's taken the president uh, this week to sit down and talk with the coach and the football team and let them know there's a no tolerance party uh, policy 
for this anymore. We've seen Jimbo Fisher ban football players from going to bars. And, and not to mention, you know, we'll throw this in there, that DeAndre Johnson, the first guy to be charged with and kicked off the team, um, wasn't old enough to be in a bar. So I don't know what that policy will help. So uh, I think his trial date is before um, the start of the college football season. And I expect something has to come out of this. I am sure since there's no video, there's going to be some cover-up. We'll see what happened. My gut tells me that nothing will happen to him because he's a much more high-profile player than DeAndre Johnson was. I mean, I've read a couple of good pieces saying if the president, if Jimbo Fisher really mean that they're trying to clean up this program, this is their chance to take a stand. This is their chance to show you know, that the world, show Tallahassee, show the school, show their students, show you know, the women in the community, et cetera, that they mean business about cleaning up this program. I, I don't know how it's going to go. I'm, I'm, I can't imagine, you know, or I can't put myself in their mind there. However, I do think if they did go that direction and they, they chose to dismiss him, you know, again, there isn't a smoking gun video here I, as there one was in the Johnson case. If there were, I think this decision would already be made. We're not there yet. We'll see what they decide. I will say this. Jimbo Fisher, Fisher has already been warned. And he's already had with Jameis Winston and DeAndre Johnson several previous um, occurrences that have happened. And it's putting Florida State <coughs> excuse me, in a bad light. And then there's also already been a precedent set for a coach, an iconic coach who has a lot of wins, who has not had control of his program from a legal standpoint. Um, it's Joe Paterno. So we've seen this happen. Things are different now. People are aware of this. You don't let your program get out of hand because much larger things can happen and affect your school. The, the biggest thing, the most important thing in Tallahassee is winning football games, and that was decided two years ago in the Jameis Winston case. So anyway, that's, that's my only thought. So what do we think, guys? Wrap it up. Is he going to be playing? Is he going to be starting the season? Is he going to miss time? Are we going to see him in, in, in Clemson in November? First thought? He actually was committed to Clemson first. I'm glad he didn't come here. That's my first thought. I'm, I'm glad we, we dodged that bullet. And then second, yeah, he's playing. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think so too, especially since the game is November. He, I, I don't think, unless video services clearly showing what happened, I, there's no way he gets kicked off the team. I think at worst he m- maybe misses two games. My gut tells me nothing happens to him. He's not a third-string quarterback. So elsewhere in the headlines this week, um, ESPN released early preseason polls, um, at least the top 20. Uh, Clemson came in at number 19 in that poll. Um, turns out the ACC actually had no teams in the top 18. So um, across the board, pundits really feel like Clemson um, is going to be the class of the ACC this season. Certainly agree with them. Certainly uh, good to see that recognition. So again, ACC, no teams in the top 18, boys. SEC had eight nearly half of the top the top schools uh, will be in that conference. This, this is the same um, ESPN narrative. And, you know, one way or the other, they make sure at the beginning of the season that the top, you know, 10 to 15 is loaded uh, with SEC teams. And at the end of the season, there's probably the same amount of number, but those teams have switched places. You know, and do you feel like this is based on just they don't know they don't know what's up it's really difficult to scope this out they're placing some educated guesses if they rank them highly some of them pan out then at least they're not you know way off the mark my opinion is that 
just like with anything, when you see the rankings, think of like college basketball, when you see that number one versus number four, same in college football, it, it equates to dollars. It's a great way to market a game. It's like prize fighters, almost like, you know, Pacquiao versus Mayweather. That's what they're doing. They're, they're, it's promoting these guys going into the season. There is a million, multi, multi-million dollar uh, channel in the SEC uh, network which is runs, I guess, in conjunction with ESPN now. I think it's promotion. If you look at the ESPN writers, about half of them now for college football, close to half have some kind of SEC affiliation. Uh, you know, there's like a, just a few handful of ACC writers. So I think it's I think it's a bit of just trying to promote your brand. And right now that, that is the SEC. Right. And why wouldn't they? Because, uh, you know, the the South is college football. And that's where the, the largest viewership base resides, and specifically in the region that the Southeastern Conference teams are located. I mean, the ACC has a large contingent of Southern teams, but when you think of those Southern teams and who they are and have the largest TV markets, is really only Clemson, Florida State, and now Louisville. North Carolina schools, not so much. Clearly basketball. Miami, I've seen their home games, not much of a draw there. So, and Georgia Tech, we know what their fans are like. Vitek and BC shells them for themselves. Yeah, exactly. And, and even then with BC, it's like how much of fan participation did they have before? So, I mean, I, yes, I get as a network and as a business why ESPN is doing this, but let's, I mean, take it for what it is. I mean, and maybe we're just getting too bent over backwards about this, and we know ESPN is going to do that and say that half of the top whatever 17 teams are SEC teams. Right. I mean, I think it goes back to something we touched on one to two uh, podcasts ago, which was, does a one-loss non-SEC team have a shot against other one-loss teams across the country? And I think all this hype, all the media support, all the network deals, all the preseason prognostication, all amounts to pushing a lot of those other schools out. Last year, they only had one representative in the, in the four-team playoff. Um, I don't think there was controversy over the SEC having anyone drop out of that based on Mississippi schools losing, based on the East being a, you know, a terrible conference or a terrible division and um, other things. But I would think this year, you know, if you're, I were a betting man, I would definitely bet to have two SEC teams in that playoff. Well, and here's the thing. In college football, more than any college, other college sport, your preseason ranking goes much further in determining where you're going to end up at the end of the season. You know, you can start at, you know, out of the rankings of college basketball, and given the length of the season, you can end up at the top, get seated high in the tournament, and go on to win. But in a college football tournament where there's only four teams, the difference between starting in the top 15 and the top 25 is huge because depending on where you are in those rankings, one loss greatly affects you. So I think that has, I mean, that's something to be considered. And I, I think that's something we've seen playing out several times in the way these preseason polls work. And obviously other polls uh, are not affiliated with ESPN, but ESPN is such a vast, large uh, sports network and has so much influence on so many uh, areas of the industry that they are influential. And sports writers do take this into consideration. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say, so away from the SEC – is our ranking number 19. Is that how accurate? What do you guys think about that? My quick take is that I'm amazed that the rankings uh, for Clemson across the board being, you know, I've seen a top 10. I've seen out of the top 25. I don't think I've, I can ever remember a preseason no poll one, where Clemson's been this, like this wide of a, of a range of a spectrum. Yeah. I mean, my take generally is 
I don't, I actually don't, I agree with everything you said about preseason ranking being important when you're jockeying for national position, especially when you are in that like one loss category. Um, I also, on the other hand, feel like when Clemson is overhyped, when we're preseason top 10, even closer to the top five, that is sometimes blown up in our face. And generally I, I do like to kind of sneak up on people more, more than often or more often than not. I mean, it is, it is remarkable this year. No one really has a feel for this team. No one really understands. And I think, you know, we've talked about it. There's question marks throughout the defense. There were a lot of graduating players, um, others who are dismissed from the program. So that's a huge question mark O-line as well. I think that's what's revealing this variance. Um, but do I think like mid to late teens is appropriate? I think we probably will, will overachieve that. Well, well, here's the thing. Actually, my opinion is I have no beef with where Clemson's rank. I actually think that that's in giving our unknowns heading into the season. That's actually an accurate placement. So I actually have no problem with that. My problem kind of lies in Florida State, who's had two great years in a row being ranked at 21. Georgia Tech, who continues all they do is beat people end up highly ranked the past few seasons. We've seen what Paul Johnson has been able to do. Um, and then on the opposite side of that, Virginia Tech ranked at number 24. How are they even in the rankings? So, you know, yeah, I'm kind of complaining about why there's so many SC teams ranked so high. I'm not complaining about Clemson. I'm complaining about two teams from the ACC that are not taking into consideration. Louisville's not in there. Uh, and then what, what places does Virginia Tech have? I think that says all you need to know about preseason rankings. I mean, it definitely matters when it comes to, you know, quality of conference. People do look at that little number next to a team name when there's early season matchups going on, et cetera. Frankly, the ACC just needs to take care of business in terms of out of conference. Um, and then when the four runners emerge, all those play through, you know, let's hope they're actually legitimate champions standing. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say on that is, yeah, I understand like preseason rankings, they don't hold a lot of water, but again, and, and this is the one sport in college athletics in major college athletics where preseason ranking kind of does matter. Yeah, there's not a large enough sample size for things to naturally correct themselves. From like in, week like to in week. basketball, yeah. Exactly. So you get pigeonholed behind a Auburn, you both, they're four, you're five. Well, and you have, and they have one loss, you have one loss. Then. And when you have six SEC teams in the top ten and they all beat each other, they just all end up back in the top ten. Yeah, I think the world righted itself in the SEC West last year down the stretch, but um, we'll see if it happens again. But we have to, that, that's not taken into consideration this year. We're starting from square one. Agreed. Uh, in terms of the future for Clemson, Cody, any news on the recruiting trail? Yeah, some great news. We talked about Trey Lamar, four-star linebacker out of, out of Georgia. He's like a wrecking ball. He's that middle linebacker. He's already got a, a college size. He's 240. If you watch him on film, there's two things I watch for out of a high school football player's film as a linebacker. For one, do you look like the most athletic guy on the field? Because you really need to be, even at linebacker. And he looks like that. And then two, he moves people. He like When he hits people, they go back. And just incredible film. Going to anchor that, the middle of our defense. Hopefully he's starting as soon as, as next year. Uh, and, and coming in, in addition to a guy like uh, Rashawn Smith, who's a higher rated linebacker that's going to be on the outside starting next year. Um, just a just a really good linebacker class that um, you know with that addition, and that we really know that's Brent Brent Venable's specialty. That's really his position group that he gravitates toward, establishing dominance. You know, in the middle of that defense, and um, 
you know, not only in terms of positioning against the scheme, um, but, you know, closing in on tackles, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, with Brent Venables there, there's always going to be some good, there's going to be some good linebackers. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're set really for the next five years now, and it's, it's looking great for us. And, and just a quick note on Trey Lamar, too, is that um, he was down to Auburn and Clemson looking at a you know, very strong focus on their engineering program. Yeah, very, very bright guy, great family. And uh, he went to Auburn three times before coming most recently to the All-In Cookout. So it was one of those, like, he, had, he knew Clemson was right, but he had to go to Auburn three different times. And with the guy, you know, with me being nervous, you know, there's there's bag men right and left that are just handing out cash there. I could tell you got a couple of more gray hairs this week. Yeah. That, these are the things that keep me up at night. You know, got our, our recruits going to Auburn. Talk to us about I know this this really weighs also in your evaluation. Physique. Is he, is he matched the uh, the Cody Fowler uh, <laughs> standard? He's a, he's there. He in fact, he could probably play defensive end. We're talking about he's a rock. Um, but let, let me move on, though, because I know we're running out of time. You guys don't give me a, a lot of time for the recruiting corner. Um, Bryce Matthews, he is a, a remaining. Him and John Simpson are remaining OL, uh, offensive line targets here. Uh, Bryce Matthews, a uh, guy, guy from Tennessee. If you don't know anything about Tennessee football, man, it's hard to get guys to leave the state there. They got such a stronghold on, on in-state players. He's also a son of a former NFL O-lineman. Um, Jason Matthews as well. Great pedigree, and uh, so maybe that won't weigh in quite as much. Um, he came down. I mean, he came for the All In Cookout, and now he's all of a sudden going to make a decision similar to Trey Lamar. Was you know was that Clemson visit enough to make it where he could scratch it off the list, or was it enough to be like, hey, that's that's where I'm going? So where does Dad go to school? He went to A and M. Okay, so I, I would say, um, especially with an offensive lineman having a dad who has the pedigree in the NFL that I think his influence coming down to not whether you go to an in-state school or not, it's really who your offensive line coach is. I think that's where his dad could be a huge influence if we have a better O-line coach. That's a good point because we have not developed a lot of you know, NFL linemen. So maybe that, that could have some sway. Uh, Christianity religion is something that is a factor. Uh, it's always bodes well for Clemson and Dabo. So that, that, that's something to, that you know, could be a factor. Another guy, John Simpson, our guy from Fort Dorchester, and apparently some some news has surfaced for him. Uh, keep in mind too, Bryce between Bryce Matthews and John Simpson, if we land these guys along with what we already have, it's going to be a very successful class, and it's very realistic. Um, the, the the most recent on John Simpson though is that he's starting to really uh, prolong the process to kind of walk, uh, kind of visit other schools, SEC schools. And there's um, there's some uncles involved. There's there's some guys like apparently I, it's it's seriously uncles are, are with him and going on on trips. And it looks like they want to engage in that side of the process. So when that typically happens in the SEC with their deep pockets, we usually don't win these. Yeah, his top groups uh, aside from Clemson include Alabama, Florida, Georgia, LSU, South Carolina, Tennessee. That's I mean, a, that's a steep mountain to climb. Absolutely. On the other hand, no judging by the state of our offensive line, could he get more, you know, true freshman or redshirt freshman reps attending Clemson than those other schools? Absolutely. We can sell playing time all day. We got that. But what we can't sell is is NFL uh, development getting you to that level we don't have that right now and i don't know what goes on behind the scenes it's probably not fair for me to really say that you know there's handouts or there's uncles you know getting money but 
It's so, so let me let me happens. Ask, let me ask you this: How does the scheme that an offense runs, uh, you know, factor in and weigh on these guys' decisions? If, you, if you're thinking Alabama with a more uh, pro style offense as opposed to Clemson with really the spread, up tempo, fast pace offense, does that factor into an offensive lineman's decision? I, I think it factors in. I think more importantly, um, who's blocking you? How how do you develop? How do you develop your players? And then also. Um, also, just I mean, how do you fit there? Like, what's the yeah. what's the feeling? What's the vibe? Also, the consultation you get, like, you know, he's a four star, four star lineman. He's not a five star lineman. You know, generally, is he going to, like, is the NFL a reality? Certainly, you can go to Alabama. You can develop your skills. Does he have that pedigree? Does he have sort of that like that potential? Do we really see a lot of five star offensive linemen though coming out of high school? Not a lot, but I mean, that's a, it's a it's a fair assessment or it's a fair question. You don't see a lot. I mean, there's not like any, um, what do you call them, can't miss kids sure. as offensive linemen. But at the same time, any, I, I can I can guarantee this, 99.99% of four-star football players think they're going to play in the NFL. Or they, that is their goal more so than anything else. So I guess last thing that I'll touch on this, let's say we do pick up both Matthews and Simpson. Where does that leave us standing with kind of the doom and gloom we've been feeling with the loss of Parker Boudreaux and other targets on the offensive line if we pick up these two guys does that have us looking at this recruiting class and being like wow that's a huge success from that front absolutely i mean you know that scene in dumb and dumber where he comes up on the moped you completely redeemed yourself yeah that's it, it would completely just take this class on a 180 a guy named uh sean pollard another four-star sure. guard out of georgia is already in the fold right it would i mean couple that on top of mitch hyatt jake from and the guys that came in this year that gives Clemson a ton, a ton of, uh, of talent, a young talent and, and, and really just good guys to, to kind of carry that for the next, what, three, five years? Okay. Follow-up question. Let's say one of these guys commits, and then we bring in a three-star with a high upside. Same feeling? Or does it really hinge on bringing in two four-star guys? We need, we need tackles. We are unbelievably thin at offensive tackle the guy again i've said it time and time again that's protecting that's protecting deshaun watson sure we need tackles we're thin there john simpson as much as i love him he probably will come to clemson i still think it's not a tackle bryce matthews is we need him probably more so than john simpson darrell berry if you're listening get on him hard please we need you man we need you absolutely so thank you for catching us up cody on recruiting Keep us posted on those O-linemen. Um, hopefully they, they see the light and uh, sign up with Clemson. Uh, let's move on. We sort of have two meteor topics we wanted to cover off on this week. Uh, first was ACC Media Days, and we will get into our first position group deep dive and overview coming up into the season. Um, but Media Days took place this week in Pinehurst, North Carolina, beautiful golf course, um, and you know, a collection of head coaches and player representatives coming in to address the media, talk about the upcoming season. Uh, certainly, we heard a lot about uh, Clemson's, you know, roster. Um, a lot of the issues related to the program um, were addressed this week. So we'll kind of run through those here. Um, first things first, Clemson, both from a, a team standpoint and Deshaun Watson in terms of kind of watch lists and, and preseason favorites for player of the year, quarterback of the year, et cetera. Uh, we seem to be pretty solid across the board in terms of sweeping preseason voting. Uh, so definitely encouraging. Uh, people are taking notice of, you know, Clemson's, 
prospects. See, this is an interesting topic because you touched base on this earlier. As a fan, you're uncomfortable with Clemson being the front runner. It's kind of feels better for us to be the underdog. Uh, because if we do fail, it's less of a failure. And we have seen times in the past uh, that coming in number eight to start the season ranked against Alabama, where they just slaughtered us in the Georgia Dome, uh, among many other times where we've been hyped up and haven't performed up to a certain level. So it, it's, it's interesting because as a fan, I think we're still at a point because of recent history that we kind of rather not see ourselves be uh, – expected to win or favored to win the ACC Atlantic, the conference, have the player of the year, because we've, we've felt that hurt and disappointment so many times. But I'll also get back to something we talked about last time when we were talking about our schedule and how it sets up. Uh, a true champion is not going to care how their schedule sets up. They're just going to go out there and win the games, uh, you know, uh, address the tasks that are set out there in front of them and do whatever it takes to win. So I feel the same way, and I kind of feel a, a turn in the culture of Clemson football and the way we've been playing the past few years and the things that have been happening, the things that Dabo have done, and the, the guys and players we have brought in. Is that now, you know, I'm hoping the team doesn't see this as a challenge and they expect this to be the case that they're favored to win everything and they're going to do it. And you know what? Part of me is a fan that used to be kind of afraid of having all this hype. I'm starting to embrace it, and that's exciting because I think that's where we really, uh, looking forward, can really start to expect ourselves to do great things. I feel like the whole, I don't want to be ranked too high, like the whole, will we be, will we be motivated to, you know, over, you know, outdo that ranking is more of like a Bowden era type mentality. And I think things have changed, but I, I completely see where you're coming from, Ben, because, you know, first, you know, time and time again, you like the number eight ranking, I think, in 2008 or it might have been 2009 where we lost to Alabama and like just completely uh, kind of ruined the year for us. And then other times where we came in as like a top 25 team and then we didn't end top 25. But I think thing, times have completely changed. We're holding ourselves a different standard. And I know that's like best is standard is kind of our slogan, our cat, the, the phrase. But I think it's more than that. I think it's just better coaching for one, better players in terms of talent and character who hold themselves to a higher standard and 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 just also i mean we're, we're different things i mean our schedule lines up really well that does matter you said it you know i i, I know where you're coming from there too but i think i think that i think that's a factor and the ac still still down so we're, i mean it, it's basically a year where everything lines up well save for thinness at certain position groups which we will definitely get to but, um, you know, the table's set, so let's see what we can do. Yeah, um, and again, I mean, we're not – I'm not saying that it's this year, but I'm saying that – and you mentioned it's kind of Tommy Bowden-era thinking, and as much as we maybe don't like to admit it, Tommy Bowden did a lot of great things for Clemson, but it has taken a long time to kind of move past the reputation that we gained during those years. I think we're finally starting to come out, out of it. You're not going to convince Dabo that we're still that way. His confidence um, and his intentions are completely different than what everybody else thinks of us, and probably a lot of the, uh, of his fans haven't really caught up to as quickly. We're we're moved, far removed from a point where we used to question Dabo and wonder is he going to be the guy. We're at a point now where we just trust in him. We we've seen enough of the right moves and uh, the right progression of the program 
where most of us are believing now. And I really think it's at a point where, for me, this year, what's different than a lot of times in years past, where I may have been kind of been shy, shied away from wanting those preseason accolades, bring them on, because I believe them to be true. I know a lot of things can happen during the season, things can go the wrong way, but we're heading in the right direction, and I'm not going to say it's going to happen this year, where we win a national championship or even make the playoff, but I can see the scenario play, you know, scenarios play out where that does happen because we have some of the most special, talented players in the country, and we have a great coaching staff. So moral of the story is we have high hopes for this season. Guys, let's move on. Um, came out this week as well at Media Day is that the ACC is starting to schedule Friday night games uh, for this season. Clemson will not be involved in any of those this year, but uh, this topic was put to um, Dan, Dan Rad and to Dabo. And, uh, you know, the unequivocal response was, that's not something that we want to be interested in. What do you guys think? Friday nights, is that sacred? Do you want to, be, you want, you want to see Clemson hosting games or traveling, playing on a Friday night? Well, I love the nomenclature that they use, what they're calling this specialty games, because that's exactly what they are. They're gimmicks. This is what we've seen lower-tier conferences do, like kind of how the MAC plays Tuesday night games to get airtime, get on TV. I don't think this is something that the ACC should have any part of. Uh, in addition to, I think the Thursday night games are bad enough. Um, but then a game in Ireland, okay, well, that's, you know, that reminds me of a lot of these NFL games, how we send the worst teams in the NFL to go play in, in England. Um, and Georgia then, Tech. And then Friday night games. I mean, come on. I, I think that's way too far. I mean, it, it's great that Clemson has put its foot down and said we're not going to have Friday night games in Death Valley. Um, but that does not exclude us from being scheduled to play teams in the north, like Boston College or Syracuse Pitt, or Pitt in Friday night games. I mean, and, and John Swafford, uh, the commissioner of the ACC, has said he understands how in the south it could conflict with Friday night football, how that's a big culture in the south, but it's not so much a thing in the north. But it does us absolutely at Clemson. It does Clemson absolutely no good to play on a Friday night because any recruit who's watching that's going to be going to Clemson is going to be playing football on a Friday night. We don't need the national exposure. Maybe the conference does, but I don't see how Friday night helps. Ben, I I, I agree on uh, at, for home games because that's a, it's a tradition. Death Valley has no issues filling up eighty thousand every week and, and then some, but. For these, like, do you really care though? Like, for like, if we're going up to Syracuse or Boston College, do you care if it's Friday versus Saturday night? Other than the inconvenience, because you would rather, in your case, maybe just like chill out, you know, relax instead of like get off work and then go straight into the game. No, absolutely, because I think it's a trap game for us. It's 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 something that we're not used to doing as a team. It's uh, traveling on the road. It's probably one less day of practice. It, again, gets us out of our routine. I think it's a trap game. The Thursday night games are kind of a trap game. I mean, they're always harder, especially when you go on the road. How is that any different? And in fact, that would actually be worse. It's one other, it's one more day. And a lot of times, what, four days rest? No, 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 I'm agreeing. I, I, I really don't like Thursday night games. And, but it's specifically It's Friday. a gimmick. Yeah, exactly. That's and fair, I don't want to be, I don't want to be part of a gimmick, just like I don't want to be part of having flashy different uniforms every game we play. I, I think we're above that. You're never going to, huh? you're never going to see... Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Ohio State, Texas, Ohio State. You're not going to see those teams play on a Friday night. 
I don't know about that for one, but I can tell you the SEC, there's a reason they're, you know, top, what, eight teams are in the top 25 or whatever the case? Top 19. Well, that that is ESPN's FPI. That's not the AP poll. And it'll pro- the AP but poll will be probably, probably the same. Yeah. yeah, it's probably more, more or less the same. Well, they are the SEC, though. They have the SEC network. They've shown time, time and time again that they, they've won, they win national championships, you know, aside from the last two years. They don't have to do that stuff because they don't have to do that stuff because they're good. Until, until Georgia Tech, um, I shouldn't say Georgia Tech, that's a bad example. Until Virginia Tech, until Miami, get, to back, get back to where they used to be. Until a team like NC State, uh, Boston College, like pick it up. It, ACC is just complete crap, but, not too far from these second-tier conferences. But can we say from the, the play of the power teams in the ACC alone that the ACC has gotten better over the past couple of years by itself without these gimmick games? Kind of. I mean, if you consider Duke being a probably what would equate to a mediocre SEC team, maybe. I, I'm, I'm only talking about Georgia Tech from the coast, Coastal and then Florida State, Clemson, Louisville. We're, we're top-heavy. But we still have to play half of our games against guys like Syracuse and, and some, Boston College. Some would say that the SEC East is top-heavy. So... Just so I'm clear, Cody, you're pro Friday night games in order for this to increase exposure for the, the good of the league. In the case that it, yeah, in the case that it's an away game versus at home, yeah, we should you know, Saturday is the is the is the ticket, but what what's like the downfall? Would you rather the a noon game on Saturday in Syracuse? Like what's the benefit there? I'd rather have the exposure and the and the notoriety from from being in that having that Friday night slot. You're, you're not getting a lot of TV viewership on Friday night. It's you're just, getting even less on Saturday as you're battling those SEC guys. Ben, if there are people on your lawn, what do you want them to do? Get off the porch. <laughs> Get off your lawn. <laughs> if they're kids and they're on your lawn, Ben, you want them to, you're going to hit them with a the broomstick, right? Yeah, in my old age, I was confused by the question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we, I don't think we have to worry about Clemson playing any Friday night games, certainly not at Death Valley. Um, I think I side with Ben on this one. Let's uh, let's leave that to the MAC, to the Big West, um, you know, to the Mountain West, etc. Those who need ratings, those who need you know to fill sponsorship spots. Um, I think ACC, if if we are to be considered, you know, even among the top three conferences, we need to stick to our guns with with when we play. Um, sticking with the ACC, uh, Commissioner John Swafford. Um, addressed a number of league issues this week. I know, Ben, you've been reading up on some of these. Um, We touched on the influence of a partnership with the SEC and having a TV network partnership with ESPN and Disney. Uh, Where are we with an ACC network deal? One that we lack and one that is definitely hamstringing the conference in terms of revenue. I I still think we're a good ways off. Um, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Uh, We're still in a kind of contract partnership with ESPN through the 20... uh, 26 27 season I, I just don't think the conference again you know kind of going back to our point of us being top heavy has not done enough to warrant the ACC network they so they kind of reference how the SEC network has done which apparently is doing very well uh, I would look at the big 12 network I don't hear a peep out of that the Longhorn network well ever since they've gotten that Texas has gone downhill so I don't know if there's going to be a lot of investment uh, into an ACC network. And the only, th- the only way that I can see something like that happening 
is if basketball can really come in and hold that down. But even the ACC in basketball hasn't been the powerhouse as a total conference as it um, historically has been. We've had some good One, teams. One, two of the last three. And we've been winning national championships for Go sure. Duke. Oh, God, I hate you. Uh, but we've been top-heavy, just like football. Uh, but certainly yeah, more is, it, is it a must-watch every night of the week when the, these games are on? The question is, uh, can we have them getting better in football? Can that momentum keep up? And can basketball, being a lower-revenue-producing sport, uh, kind of carry the weight in the offseason? I mean, I don't— I mean, uh, I, th- I think the interesting thing for me here is— I don't know that on its own volition, ESPN is just going to come up, pony up the dollars to make this happen. Could the ACC get in bed with someone like Fox Sports and I, make competitive play happen? You can say you hate their network, you hate their broadcasters, you don't like their coverage of what they've done with other other you know uh, conferences, but this is a money sport. This is where we need to decide, like you know, as the ACC basically, like what is the best move forward. Um, I, so I don't see Fox Sports. They, they're terrible at sports coverage, and it, it's kind of like a mediocre uh, hire at you know, whatever job or firm that you're at. It's, it's just not worth it. So I, I think if you're going to go all out and start a network, that the failure of it could be more detrimental than the sl- slim chance of success. So as much as I hate to say it, ESPN is the powerhouse and does give you the best opportunities to, su- to succeed at that. So I, I think it's them or them or nothing. I might agree too because if you're stiffing ESPN, you know what are they going to do to you on the on the flip side of that by not giving you any added exposure? And you know, they they would do that. They would totally do that. And uh, I don't think that's harmed Oregon in any way, shape or form. Pac-12 created its own network. Previously, they were with Fox. ESPN toots Oregon's horn left and right. But does, do, but does anybody east of the Rockies know that? I mean, they're certainly featured on game day quite a bit. They're constantly ranked in the top five. I feel like Oregon is an ESPN team. If no, I had to absolutely. But I think that's ESPN's investment in the West Coast, especially since we've seen uh, USC and UCLA not – you know, be anything close in what they used to be. I again, I think that's ESPN's investment out out this way. Could be some stuff with Nike too. I mean, I would think. I mean, they, just, they deep, came out of nowhere. Pockets. Yeah, deep pockets, and now like like Oregon is kind of thought kind of in the same category as like an Alabama in terms of like tradition and history. But it doesn't really not really the case. I do I do I do just feel like basketball. You know, the entire package of ACC athletics is attractive. Is a crown jewel. Um, ESPN has its own challenges elsewhere with personnel and such. I, I personally think, you know, we can play hardball a little bit with this to get a deal. We're probably not going to get an SEC level deal, but, you know, it's alarming to me the fact that we're locked in for another 12 years on a contract that frankly sucks compared to other conferences and is hamstringing us. Yeah, I, I, anything that's better that will make the ACC experience better, get some more money to the ACC, bring some more money to the ACC. But we have to start like looking within ourselves first, and that starts with like filling up our stadiums. And that, there's nothing Clemson can do about that. We don't have any trouble doing that, but it, it's a huge problem within probably for 50% of the conference. Well, I think that's where teams like Miami have to get better. Uh, Virginia Tech has to kind of 
you know, go back up. I think Boston College would probably fill the stadium if they had an entertaining team. And same thing with Pittsburgh. I mean, it's a great sports city. Um, so I think that does have a lot to do with it. North Carolina schools, I don't expect much. Well, actually, NC State. NC State, if they got to being a relevant football program again, they could run the state of North Carolina. They really could. I think they have the most rabid uh, and, and, and active college football fan base, and that's something they could own within that state. I think they have a golden opportunity, and somehow they've let Duke take that from them. Uh, but yeah, Experienced quarterback, question marks elsewhere this year. We'll definitely preview that game as we get into it, but agreed. I think it's um, increasing the caliber of play leads to, you know, more fans, more eyeballs on the ACC, hopefully better play against our out-of-conference opponents. I mean, we're kind of a broken record here, but, um, you know, win your games. Cool. Um, speaking of winning games, speaking of kind of cross-conference uh, cross opponents, if you will, um, touching on the South Carolina-Clemson rivalry a bit, a couple of news um, news headlines this week uh linebacker i believe his first name is pronounced sky sky Moore, uh took a jab at clemson um if any he was asked you know what sort of what feedback do you have about the clemson rivalry um he commented that the we too deep uh defensive chant certainly annoyed uh the heck out of him and felt like that was just an illegitimate chant um he also commented that um, South Carolina this year was poised to shock the world. Um, definitely expectations are low for the Gamecocks this season, which I agree with. Uh, they've had a lot of departures that, that didn't look very good last year after losing a lot of guys. So um, anyway, Sky Moore, we welcome your comments. Yeah, well, I can tell you this. He was looking more at the sky as he was looking up at Artavis Scott last year uh, on the, you know, two days after Thanksgiving, watching him tiptoe down the, sky, uh, the sidelines. So um, yeah, great, great comment, dude. You're caught on tape. Uh, there's several photos of you um, in a very uh, compromising, embarrassing position, um, losing you know the first game to Clemson in the last five years of your program, and more to come. So, yeah, yeah, good jab. I mean, young guy, saying he, he doesn't like the wee too deep chant. Sometimes I don't like the wee too deep chant. It gets kind of annoying. Um, and, but so, you know, whatever, I can understand that. Shock the world? I don't know. It's like Spurrier has indicated kind of the same thing. We're going to have a really good team this year, he says. I, I don't know if I see that. But, hey, I don't, I'm, I'm never excited to go into Columbia and play, to be honest. So I am when we're good. And we are good. Because the only thing better than beating South Carolina in Death Valley is beating them in williams Price. That's true. I'll remind you of 63-17. Can't disagree with that. I'd rather I'd rather beat them and be nine and what nine and three than be like you know nine or what would it be six and six. I guess my point is I'd rather be a good team than beat them. Well, good good thing is we can have have both. Um, Looks like the head coach has also got into it this week. Um, Dabo brought up just generally the emphasis of the team on the South Carolina game, how it's still very much a focus. Um, has been a focus certainly in the lot like last year's game was a big milestone for the team breaking a five-year streak which you know certainly hurt cut deep um, among among the Clemson faithful um, Steve Spurrier in the Gamecock and the uh, SEC media days um, was in front of a mic constantly he generally held back but um, finally took a jab at Clemson 
Ben, would you hear from the old ball coach? Yeah, it usually doesn't take him so long to immediately, especially when things are going well for them, to take a jab at Clemson. And he actually made it through all of the SEC media days without saying anything. And I was kind of surprised, maybe a little bit impressed. But then I started to realize, well, it's obviously because we won back uh, last year and he realizes where we we are at in uh, comparison to them as a program. Um, but he couldn't hold back long enough, and he finally took a jab at Clemson. But you remember when he used to call us that team from the upstate? I would like to point out that he addressed us by name, which lets you know that we're in his head. We've beaten him once in the last six years, so I guess he has to call us Clemson now. Fair fair price, fair result. Well, he's, he's, he's backtracking now. He's, he's trying to do uh, damage control uh, over those comments he made about possibly retiring in two years, and that's what this is all derived from. He went on a rambling interview today on ESPN, uh, and, and that's where kind of the Clemson jab came into play. Um, but I, I think just you, you can tell by what he's saying and the way he says it, we're in his head. He knows where things stand now, and maybe he's trying to play some, you know, some psychology, some psychic games with Dabo, thinking he can still get in his head. But we know he has the upper hand at this point, and and I think going forward that the future is much brighter for Clemson, and he absolutely knows that. He talks about being there five or six more years. He's not going to be. What he said when he said two more years of coaching, that's what he meant. Absolutely, guys. Uh, I think we need to move on. I think we'll focus in here on our first position group preview for the season uh the one that i'm most excited about and that is the wide receiver uh position group cody um thank you this week for putting up a blog post on clemsonpodcast.com breaking down your thoughts your predictions for uh that, that group um not to rehash too much of your post i think it stands on its own merit but um in terms of breaking down the depth chart you know walk us through where you see this position group Coming into this year, we've got some returning guys. We've got some guys ready to break out. Uh, where is the depth chart, and what are you most excited about? I'm most excited about Artavis Scott and or Mike Williams. Those two guys are just, I mean, both um, could could be All-Americans. I, I, don't, I think it's kind of mutually exclusive in terms of who could win the award. I think one guy will kind of... Maybe still a little bit from the other in terms of catches and, and, and getting the ball, uh, yardage, touchdowns, etc. But Artavis Scott has, is a guy, I alluded to it in the article, he makes every, uh, is the most efficient uh, type guy in terms of his speed. He, every step he takes, he makes it so uh, so efficient. He makes the best, the best use out of it. He cuts on, a, he can you know cut on a dime. Um, very exciting player. I, I, and I looked at him. I guess the thing that like makes me a little bit more excited about for him than Mike Williams is that he's not necessarily going to rely on Deshaun Watson to get him the ball. They can use him in a variety of ways out of the backfield, even as a running back and, and that jet sweep that we've seen time and time again. So I, I look for him to have a really big year. Mike Williams, on the other hand, could have just as big or even a bigger year. He's, you know, he's long. He's athletic. He's a 6'5 junior. Um, true junior, and he'll probably be in the NFL next year. Um, just a guy that has just a freakish uh, athletic ability. The coaching staff, like Dabo, has compared him to Nuke Hopkins, like a larger version, and I would say that's appropriate because he's just a guy he'll catch anything. You know, you see a lot of guys his size, but what the difference is is he just anything in the air he's going to get to it. He's you know, it's just kind of the we, nature. We saw some crazy snags on that shaky cam coming out of the spring game. Um, by Mike Williams again not in a hyper competitive 
uh, situation, but definitely flashed some talent um, with, you know, ability with his hands, with his body position, being able to go up and get a ball. So uh, I agree with you. I think Nuke Hopkins is kind of his, um, in my mind, if he can aspire to DeAndre Hopkins' ability and performance as a Tiger this season, it's going to be a special year. So so let me ask you this. We've kind of... uh We've kind of already had the conversation about what Mike Williams, Artavis Scott, Sharon Peake's going to do. Uh, tell us more. Like, let's think about Jermon Hopper. Where does he fit in in all of this this year? And let's talk about guys coming in with Raymond Cloud and Deion Kane. We kind of expect, even though we're loaded at this position, we expect them to contribute a lot. So where do we stand with those guys? Like, what what's the outlook? Do, do we expect them to be big playmakers? Do we expect kind of them to all fit in different parts of the game and special teams. I mean, we have a ton of talent. We know the guys we have and what they can do. What about these guys coming in and a guy like Jermon Hopper, who hasn't really lived up to his ability yet, but we hear has a huge upside. He does. He has a ton of talent. And it's hard It's hard to say because, you know, the, the pie is only so big and everyone's, you know, when you take a little bit from it on one side, someone's going to, is going to, it's going to come away from their, their portion. So, um, when you look at a guy like Jermon Harper, ton of talent, and he'll kind of his his destiny. He'll decide that on his own. What he can't really account for are the guys pushing him behind him, who are extremely talented. And a lot of Clemson, the fan base doesn't really know about him, know about these guys. Deion Kane and Ray Ray McLeod that you alluded to, extremely. Just I mean, guys, he hasn't had a guy pushing him with this type of athleticism. Uh, both Ray Ray McLeod, kind of in that that scat back, that tweener uh, role between a running back and a, and a and a wide receiver, with just the amount of you know just the same amount of speed as him. Uh, Deion Kane, more of like a Sammy Watkins type, with both receiving ability and the playmaking ability. So I still we need Jamon Harper, especially for depth. A guy like Sean Peake. Well, or, special teams, he's supposed to as a punt and kick returner, he's going to fit in. Like he, he's a big piece of that puzzle, right? We have we have I mean we have several options there though so it's like but a guy that's experienced has good hands I mean you have playmakers in uh, freshmen coming in but can you really trust them in those roles and then at the same time you don't want to put your most dynamic guys like Artavis Scott back there because they risk injury right that's a good point so that would make in that case it would make Jamon Hopper like the perfect choice there and if, if that's what he can be if that's all he can be then that's so much better than what he's currently brought to the program he's been kind of a head case and uh, some academic issues up to this point but. But even if that builds accountability and confidence in assuming that role and really taking on, uh, you know, taking charge and succeeding in that, we could see that bleed into other areas, especially if there's an injury, we need somebody to step up and better a talented um, veteran than a true freshman. That's true. I would say if there's one weakness, it would be there's depth there. There's certainly depth. There's not experienced depth. I mean, you can... You, you only get so many, like, our, our defensive line is, like, once in a generation, you know, our, our defensive line from last year, where you not only had depth, but you had experience depth and talent. Well, it just doesn't happen that, that, that often with the other position groups. But I feel like with receivers, that played out last year. We had all three of these starters, including Jermon Hopper coming off the bench, playing last year, getting playing time. And you saw their greenness shine through throughout the year. There were drop balls throughout the season by Mike Williams, most memorably during the Georgia game when I think we needed first downs and we had, you know, wide open looks. Um, I'm hoping that, and again, were they playing in hyper-competitive games last year with Cole Stout? Not necessarily, but they did get reps. You know, we did play an incredibly competitive game at that position against South Carolina, 
and Oklahoma. So I feel like, you know, that we are going to see a leap forward this year. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's important to, to kind of factor in the substantial drop off or, you know, boost in performance for, uh, for Deshaun Watson versus Cole Stout. And that's just a, a wide receiver. It's kind of like the guy that plays center field. If there's balls coming his way, he tends to be a little bit more active. And the same with Mike Williams. He just, when he, when they went into the NC state and then the North Carolina games and balls were coming his way, right and left from Deshaun Watson, the guy just went into a NFL type level uh, performance. I mean, that's, that's what he was, he was bringing to the table. So I, Again, it all comes down on Deshaun Watson, but is he going to be healthy? If he is, I think Mike Williams can have an all-American type year. I predicted an all-conference year as kind of like just a safety net, um, but the sky's the limit for him and Artavis Scott, really. Okay, one more thing before we wrap this up. Cody, over under. Hunter Renfro, four receiving TDs. Man, that's... I'm going to say the under. I hate going against Hunter Renfro. Well, that brings up a good question I have is, um, you know, what are potential, I hate to be Debbie Downer here, what are potential, you know, we talk about the ceiling for this group. What does the floor look like? What is kind of worst case scenario? Let's knock on wood (laughs) and take um, a Deshaun Watson injury out of it. Cody, for you, talk, talk me through this group underachieving this year. That's the beauty. I said I talked alluded to this in my article. The the beauty of this group is that some of our let's look at some of our other position groups like offensive line. It could be a, a dumpster fire. Uh, We're standing on the almost standing on the floor looking up. I can't see the floor from the right wide receiver position. It, that's that's the thing. When you have depth and, and talent, it's kind of like our defensive line from last year. The I say that the the floor is a good group, a good group with some good players and some nice plays. The ceiling is all time. I mean, I agree. I feel like this this group will make or break Clemson season in terms of how many point how how loose can can they get against these defenses? Do the defenses we play have enough depth to cover a dynamic player like Artavis Scott and keep a possession you know cornerback on a Mike Williams? enough to get, you know, prevent him from getting the ball and doing damage. Um, I think, you know, definitely going to set the tone for our offense. I think my question is, will a new offensive coordinator, a new package, you know, group being called in, be able to get the ball around the group enough? You know, yes, I do think we can, you know, develop an offense this year with this group. But in terms of developing, you know, the players of tomorrow among this group, Ray Ray McLeod, um, Deion Kane out of the backfield, um, and definitely, um, Jermon Hopper, you know, are we, are we going to get them the reps to kind of move forward? We'll see. I want to win now. I want to set ourselves up for very good 2016 as well, which we'll see if our Tavis Scott sticks around as well. But, um, you know, th- this is going to be a hallmark of this team. I think having a quarterback with incredible vision is going to have a lot to do with it. If Nick Schusler is throwing the football to these guys, there could be a substantial drop off, but. If Deshaun Watson is the guy, then... Getting everybody involved. Yeah. If he's healthy for all the games, if we can make that assumption, then this is possibly a good chance, maybe the best receiving core in Clemson history. Top to bottom? Statistically. Top to bottom? I think so, absolutely. Yeah, 2012, certainly with... uh, We all thought Sammy Watkins was going to have the greatest year. He had an incredible um, 2011. But I think DeAndre Hopkins really... um, established himself in in 2012 definitely with the bowl game against lsu but um 
you know, Sammy obviously had a great year too. Um, Jerron Brown, Martavis Bryant, um, and a bit of Sharon peak before he got injured against Georgia was great that year. Um, so yeah, um, I, I hope I agree with you guys that, um, by season end, if the 2015 guys can eclipse that group, we could be setting up for a pretty solid bowl, bowl game. I think it's safe to say it's the position on the football team that we're the least worried about. I would say so. I'd have to agree with that, yeah. So we Would you trade 10% of this group's upside for a bit more O-line depth? Absolutely. You have to. Give me one offensive tackle because we only have three. Let's put it this way, guys. We lobbed ourselves one on this opening up position <laughs> breakdown. Uh, it only gets worse from here. Indeed. Well, let's wrap it up there. Um, we have a couple of kind of quick takes to go through. Um, this would not be a podcast without giving Ben some airtime on the baseball front. And I attribute this all to Monty Lee. Man, he keeps hitting the recruiting trail, and he is bringing in pitchers. Uh, this past week or so, uh, two pitching commits, uh, 2017 right-handing uh, pitcher Matthew Mancino and left-handed pitcher Jack Stamler. He's really loading up on the pitching, which we've seen a drop-off. We had some guys leave, so I think this is huge. He keeps on doing it. And then other big news, uh, right-handed pitcher Clay Schmidt, we all know, is battling cancer. He's declared he's coming back next year and has full intention of being a weekend starter for Clemson. Um, he had a lot of experience throwing the ball last year, so I think it's, you know, if he, if he can get through this huge uh, addition, looking forward to the staff, and then infielder Eli White played a shortstop last year, had a 297 average coming back after being drafted. Um, and again, this is big. Uh, and more excitement looking forward for Clemson baseball. I know it's the middle of the summer we're talking about it, but guys, look forward to the late winter of next year. Uh, sticking elsewhere within the Clemson family, uh, former point guard and uh, basketball legend Rod Hall um, has actually transferred post-graduation to the University of Northern Iowa. He's going to play wide receiver this season for the Panthers. I know we talked about him in the spring, coming out of the spring game. Um, he was talking about doing this transfer. He was eligible. Who knew he was had football talent? Um, but I think we were hoping he might find a, a spot on the Tigers roster, potentially even at secondary, where I think we could definitely use the depth. But um, successfully transferred to University of Northern Iowa, he's going to play receiver out there. So best of luck to you, Rod Hall. And if he makes it to the NFL, then we will showcase him in the wide receiver U, the you know WRU package. However, we'll claim him. We'll we'll claim him. Is Absolutely. What I'm saying. Um, but if he doesn't, hey, it was like, hey, you know, you know, sorry we missed the the boat there. He was a good basketball player for us. At worst case scenario, he always kind of looked like a football player to me. And uh, I'm telling you what, you know, in the secondary back in his freshman year, we could use that help. Yeah. And well, this year Clemson wanted to try him out at offensive tackle, but he didn't stick there. <laughs> he, was, he was a little undersized. Indeed. Uh, we will wrap it up this week with uh, coming out of the SEC media media week. Um, Nick Saban uh, saw fit to complain about receiving draft grades for his players in advance of the Ohio State uh, preliminary. I believe that was technically the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, um, kind of the semifinal of the playoff, um, caused his team to lose focus, be distracted in preparation for that game. Um, I personally find this to be a lame excuse from a guy who's lost two straight postseason games after the kick six. And I think they just got resoundingly beaten by Ohio State. Uh, I think there's some collusion here between Nick Saban and ESPN to come up with an excuse as to why an SEC team, namely Alabama, hasn't won the national championship in the past two years. 
because uh, what about those times were the rules different when Alabama was winning national championships? Um, did the draft grades come in after the fact there? No, it was the same rules, right? So it's always the same rules for everybody. Guess what, Nick? It's your job as a coach to eliminate these distractions, mitigate these distractions, and overcome them. So maybe instead of blaming everything on outside uh, sources or excuses or reasons or whatever, maybe just to take accountability for the fact that you lose because you're sure as hell good at claiming the wins. So take some accountability. When you lose, you lose. And stop saying you know, your, your, your team didn't show up for games. They, their heart wasn't in it. It's your job as a coach is to play every game like it matters. He's probably a little butthurt. I mean, this is Urban Meyer back from the Florida-Alabama robbery from late 2010s or so. I mean, he's probably a little upset by that. But, hey, I want him to stick around, have a little bit more success in Alabama to keep him coming back because if he were to leave, we, I think we all know what that means. I just want to beat him once. Bring it on. <laughs> Let's get it done this year in the playoff. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll wrap it up here. Um, we actually lost a bet to uh, a rival podcast, so um, we agreed to let them record under our name and publish their podcast. So our next one's going to be a little bit of a change in format uh, for y'all. We're not going to spoil it beyond that, but stay tuned. Uh, thanks for following along. Visit ClemsonPodcast.com for the musings of one Cody Fowler on the topic of receivers. Check us out on Twitter, and uh, we will check y'all soon. Go Tigers.